right. Good evening, everybody. Coming to you from South Jordan, Utah. We are here. The the no, I always want to say no longer. Oh, it is no longer sleeping giants. <laughs> I was I always feel like saying um, they might be giants. <laughs> so no, we're not going to sing Particle Man or Istanbul. But we're going to talk about no no longer sleeping giants. So, wow. Man, a lot has happened in the past month. I did like a consistent two weeks and then I took a break, but I knew that going into it, that it wasn't going to be this hardcore consistent once a week, like clockwork type thing. It was just, I needed to get something out and get moving and the consistency will come and I'm okay with that. So if you're okay with that, then, then, well, either way, if you're going to listen to me, you might have to be okay with that. So anyways, um, we'll rock and roll. And as much as we can be consistent, be together, I will be stoked to, uh, to do this with y'all. I'm just going to change a couple of settings on my thing. So awesome. I'm stoked about today. Um, like I said, a lot has happened over the past month. Um, we, me and my wife, we started a business and took a few classes and courses and, and just in the throes of that right now. So, and basically a startup in a new industry. So we're kind of figuring everything out. We got almost nothing to go on of past experience. And I just basically all, mostly what I have is my skill of just being tenacious with my schedule. And even that is being challenging because <clears throat> it's basically a family business. My kids are homeschooled and it, their school has turned into business school. <laughs> so I'm teaching them business skills. It's awesome. I love it. And, uh, and me and my wife get to learn new business skills too. So it's, it's really fun and it's been really rewarding in a lot of different ways, but there also came a point in time where I had to go out and sell pest control again. And that's wasn't necessarily expected, but it's, it's a skill that I have. And I, so I decided to keep employing that for the time being, and man, it's been a riot. It's been quite a roller coaster of a lot of different things of emotions of, of shoot relationships that I've been connecting with and reconnecting with and, and, uh, yeah, just, it's been cool. So, so I wanted to, to dive in a little bit of a, a topic that's been on my mind and that is just seeing seeing people and seeing situations and everything with eternal eyes. Um, it was president Nelson's talk this last conference where he said, think celestial. And, and I love that. It's like, man, if we could just do that with everything that we do thinking eternally and thinking of the real end consequences <laughs> and, a lot of times I ask my kids this question. I think I forget who, who said it. It might've been like Abraham Lincoln's mom or something like that. But it was like, um, he, she would always say some, she would say, son, is this going to matter in a hundred years? And so I always ask my kids that, you know, they get mad at, they get at each other for doing this or that. And I just say, Hey, look, is this going to matter in a hundred years? <laughs> and yeah, sometimes I even say, is this going to really matter in 10 years? Or five, and they just say no. <laughs> Anyways, I have to remind myself of that a lot too. So, th seeing with eyes as as God's eyes, or seeing with God's eyes, what does that take, and what does that really look like? I 
I, on my mission, I had a companion who had on his wall, and, and granted, this companion was actually a really tough companion. We got along, but he was, we just thought in such different ways. And he was kind of one of those guys that was a genius in certain ways. And it drove me nuts because I wasn't that. Like, he was really good with maps. And he would, like, within days, I, I had been in this particular area for six weeks. And maybe it was even more, it was like nine weeks or 10 weeks or something. And, and I thought I knew this area pretty good, you know, and literally within days, he, he knew this area almost like the back of his hand and he drove me nuts. I was like, no, we need to go this way to go visit this person. Oh no, this is a quicker way. And I'm, and I look at it. Oh yeah, I guess he's right. (laughs) And so anyways, so this kid, he was great guy, um, good heart, but we definitely had some clashes. Um, anyways, so but he had this quote on his wall and I loved it. And he would even share it with people in lessons. And what this quote says, it says, Lord, give me eyes that see, not as the world sees, but as thou sees. And that has always stuck with me. Because if there's one skill in the entire world that I could have, that would propel me to exaltation faster than anything and more thoroughly and more deeply than anything. It is to see with the eyes of God, specifically other people. I mean, of course myself as well, man, if if I could see myself or how God sees me, that'd be cool. But if I can see others, how he sees them, Imagine what that would be like. Imagine if you could look at somebody and just rip open their heart in a figurative sense and see who they really are. What's her name? Sister, what's her name? (laughs) Sister Runia in the last general conference also, she gave a talk about the overview effect. And she, well, she starts off her talk saying how, how she was reading with a child of hers a while back and she looked at her child and she, it was her first time wearing reading glasses and she looked at her child and just kind of started getting feeling a little bit sad because she noticed her child was growing up and getting so big and, and she's like, where's the time gone? And then she pulls her glasses up and goes, Oh, it was just the, just my glasses. And so she says, Oh, sometimes all we can see is this close up view of those we love. And I thought about that in, and how it applies in a lot of different ways. And I just thought, man, when we're in this daily rhythm of our routines, our habits, our life, we forget to pause and consider who it is that we're leading and the heart of that person or those individuals. And in many a heated moment, I know I get frustrated and think or say pointing to the pointing the finger at my kids mostly and as much as my sometimes I hate to admit it my wife and say something to the effect of what were you thinking do you realize what you just did why would you do that <laughs> and my kids I'll say go to your room I can't say that to my wife um but um 
what they hear when I say those things, they hear you're dumb, you're incompetent, you're messing my life or you're messing everything up and you're making my life hard. If you were more like me, I'd be happier. And I love you more when you do what I want. <laughs> so I'm making, I'm making my kids feel guilty for my unhappiness. And this isn't just true in family, but it's true everywhere. I mean, you think, look in politics or just the world in general, like no matter what side of the political spectrum you're on, we look at the other side and we criticize, we do what we criticize. We point the finger and say, you're dumb, you're incompetent, you're messing everything up. If you were more like me, I'd be happier. You're making my life hard. I love you more when you do what I want. My wife, she listens to K-Love quite a bit. <laughs> and I like it as a little salt every once in a while. Not too much, but just a little bit. I love the message of K-Love, obviously, Christian rock, but there's just only so much of it that I can take at a time. But but I, she shared this message with me that they, apparently the DJ was, he mentioned, and I loved it. He said, we'll never hate others back to Jesus. And I just thought, man, how much do I do that? Me, I'm talking to myself when I'm talking about looking at the other side of the political spectrum, because man, I sure look at the other side and go, you're flipping messing everything up. And that doesn't help anybody. That doesn't inspire anybody. You know, you look at all these people like, you know, Glenn Beck and Ben Shapiro and all these guys, and, and I appreciate what they're doing, the things that they, the, the, the light that they're shedding on things. But what's the overall feel that you get when you listen to these guys is you feel, you get the feel that this other side is dumb and competent, messing everything up, making our life hard. We'd be happier and we will love them more when they do what we want. And to me, imagine like being the other side. How does that feel? We've all been there and we're currently on the other side from the other side of the political spectrum, right? You don't feel love. Anyway, so why do we do this? Why is it so much easier to see the problems and the negatives than it is to see the positives? And I don't, I don't have all the answers to this, but something I've come up with is the reality is that we see in other, what we see in others is a reflection of how we see ourselves. I could probably go deeper into that at some point. I won't right now, but think about that. This, when it was first told to me, I was like, yeah, right. This isn't real. My mentor, my pest control mentor, he said that whenever I feel myself getting mad, he says, what it's actually, what it actually is, is it's something, it's something that I'm upset about within me. And I've had to, I've had to ponder on that a lot. And if nothing else, it's a healthy standpoint to look at. Cause then I'm looking at myself and not them. So even if you don't agree with that statement, try it on, see what comes of it. In any case, that seeing the negative instead of the positives is a symptom of that up close view that Sister Rooney talks about. She talks about how, how when astronauts go into space, 
they're so far away from the world. They see it from, from a different perspective, not just visually, but that visual perspective of it being this small little blueberry, <laughs> like, like, a, like a rocket man talks about. It's a giant blue blueberry. Um, or I've got the whole world in my hand. Anyways, um, so if you've seen that, you know what I'm talking about. The, uh, the astronauts, they see this, they see the world differently. And they see basically like world peace. No problem. We can do this. It's just small. This is a small thing. And we're all grouped on it together. You know, we can do this. And so she asks the question, is it possible to begin to see as God sees, even while living on the surface of this planet, to feel this overview feeling? She says, I believe we can, through the eye of faith, zoom out and view ourselves and our families with hope and joy. So then that begs the question, well, what about, what about if somebody we love is straying off the path and we're worried about them? And she goes on and says, she's told, she tells about how, to, how an experience in her life when she was younger and going through some challenges and not making the best choices, that her mom, she, she would constantly express her worry. And she says that, uh, this sister Runia says that worry feels a lot like love, but it's not the same. And that brought me to realize that that is true. Worry, really, what is worry except you not being happy because of the choices of someone else? You are choosing not to be happy. Or I should say me. If I'm worried about someone, I'm choosing not to be happy. And therefore, I need their choices to be in a certain way for me to be happy. We understand this with with dating and with, you know, sales, for example, you know, if you need that sale, you're going to push it farther and faster way than anything. If you need it, you can want it, but to put across that feeling of needing, it's just pushing them away. Why do we do that with our own kids? Why do we do that with our own brothers or sisters or people we love? She explains how her dad exemplified Lehi's dream in the tree of life. He said, she says, like Lehi, he knew that you don't chase after your loved ones who feel lost. You stay where you are and you call them. She also explains how shortly after Neil A. Maxwell passed away, a reporter asked his son what he would miss the most. And he said dinners at his parents' house because he always left feeling like his dad believed in him. After reading that, me, I just thought, wow, if I could give anything, it would, to be, it would be to be that kind of dad that my kids just, they, they, they feel inspired in my presence. But what does that take from me? I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I have become the benevolent dictator in my house. <laughs> I am nice and I'm a, and I'm, and I'm good, but I am feared. <laughs> and I, I wonder, sometimes I think that a portion of that is healthy, but, but then other times I really wonder, is that really gaining me that love and trust that, that will inspire my kids to reach 
and reach and continue to reach higher in their lives and in their connection to God. I I want them to respect me, but do they need to fear me? So a few weeks ago, I hired, hired a contractor to do some work and basically it didn't get done. It didn't get done at the, during, at the time or the date that was previously agreed. And so I got to thinking, okay, how am I going to bring this up to this contractor? Okay. Like in a diplomatic way, you know, I'm thinking, okay, how can I do this, confront this and be clear with our agreement and expectations, but not ruin the relationship because, you know, I was fairly close to this person. And then I realized I don't even do this with my kids. If they don't do what I want, exactly what I want, when I want, they hear it. And how sad is that? I don't know how your kids feel, but man, unfortunately, when I'm talking to my kids, it's correction, correction, teaching, correction. And yeah, I have good intentions, but what they hear is criticize, criticize, criticize. You're not doing enough. You're messing up. I'm disappointed in you. I don't love you. As I was going through this thought process of, man, I got to think of my kids at least as important as a stinking contractor, right? What if instead of their dad, I was a loving older sibling or a father figure or just a wise friend that didn't have the quote, parental permission to yell and command and force? What if I was one of those people that could only use love, acceptance, belonging, persuasion, seeking to understand before being understood? The, the things that a friend, sibling, or father figure would do. And then in the end, isn't that what we really are to our kids? An older sibling, a father figure, or a mother figure, a friend? Isn't that what it's what it really is? When they grow up, yeah, we're yeah, they're still our kid our our children, kids, but they're they're their own person. What if I said in my heart before every encounter, Lord, give me eyes that see, not as the world sees, but as thou sees. So my dad recently sold his business and I was on the, in the in crowd of who he told that he was going to sell his business before he sold it. And anyways, so he told me a little bit about it and he said, Oh, and by the way, just don't, don't share that with anybody. Cause it's, you know, it's still in the works and I haven't, you know, finalized anything. So just don't share it with anybody until it's, until it's already done. I'm like, yeah, sure. No problem. I'm no gossiper and I'm not, but me being a doofus. I was talking to some family members and, and, uh, and basically spilled the beans. And it was with some family members that worked for my dad. And, and, and I immediately was like, uh Oh, <laughs> and like tried to cover it up, but it did not work. And, and I, uh, one of my other brothers that did know about the sale was like, um, I think only you and dad and me were supposed to know about that. And I, <laughs> I felt terrible. I just 
thought, oh crap, I, I just, I, I'm going to hear it. And I literally, I went back to that same six-year-old feeling of myself being terrified to confront my dad. But I knew I had to. I had to be honest about it and not just try to avoid it. But I was tempted to, man. And so I I just walked over and just told him I'm just like, and I'm scared. I'm like little doggy between tail between my legs going, I uh, messed up, dad. I Forgive me, but I really goofed up told him the situation and my dad being the wise loving parent that he is just said, we'll, we'll figure it out. It'll, it'll work out. And I'm just like, okay, I hope so. Anyways. So he was super kind about it. And all I can say is that, man, even me being a 30 something year old man, I still felt those kid feelings again. And if my dad had done anything but what he did, I would have been destroyed and heartbroken and embarrassed and all of that. And it just made me, oh, it just brought to life my kids and how much I just tear them up all the time about things that they mess up on. And oh, if... I feel like I've tried to do better since that day, but it just brought it right to the forefront and gave me a feeling of a kid again. And not this stinking big tough dad that is feared. <laughs> going back to Sister Rooney at her talk, I loved it. That's why I keep going back to it. But she says, before we interact with a loved one, can we ask ourselves the question, is what I'm about to say, do or say helpful or hurtful? She continues and says, our words are one of our superpowers and family members are like human blackboards in front of us, standing in front of us saying, write what you think of me. And I've thought that after all this, a lot of this pondering and stuff, I thought that the way our children really feel loved is what we do in a heated moment. Basically, I always have to ask myself, what do I do in an emotionally charged moment? That shows them my true love for them. Sister Runia says, families are a God-given laboratory. Each difficult interaction is an opportunity to learn how to love at a deeper level. She says, there's no way to be a perfect spouse, parent, son, or daughter, grandchild, mentor, or friend, but a million ways to be a good one. And just something of note, aren't we all still kids at heart? Whether we accept it or not, we're really all just looking for the same dang things. Love, acceptance, appreciation, feeling noticed, belonging, Etc. She continues saying, Our job is not to teach someone who's going through a rough patch that they are bad or disappointing. And I love this part, this next part. She says, On rare occasions, we may feel prompted to correct, but most often, let's tell our loved ones in 
our loved ones in spoken and unspoken ways the messages they long to hear. That our family feels whole and complete because you are in it. You will be loved for the rest of your life, no matter what. So how do we so how do we gain this type of love? How do we see the way he sees? She says, Sister Runia says, we stay on our knees until our casual prayer turns mighty. This is when hearts soften and we begin to see as God sees. Moroni says, pray unto the Father with all the energy of heart that ye may be filled with this love. She calls it the consistent, unchanging, no matter what type of kind of love. The type of love that supports change and allows for growth and return. President Nelson says, quote, they need to experience the pure love of Christ, of Jesus Christ, reflected in our words and actions. There have been a few times that I've been able to see a small glimpse of what God sees. And really, I think all of us have if we think about it. But this time specifically, and it happens every once in a while, and I get really excited the more frequently it happens. But the first time I really noticed it, I was selling pest control in North Carolina. And I went and checked out some groceries at the local market. And the guy in front of me, him and his wife were in the, in the checkout. And something happened. I don't know what it was or why, but for a split second, I saw that man. I saw him. I saw his heart. I saw the fears in his, in his heart. And I saw him as just this, this almost this child. And, and I just started crying they're right there in the store because I felt the Holy Ghost fill my heart with this deep and immense love for this man I had never met and will never meet ever again. And I didn't even say hi, I didn't nothing. I didn't feel like I needed to, but I was filled. I left that moment changed. And I would love to say that I was changed forever. And I was able to see people through God's eyes from there on out, but that was shoot 20 something years or 10. I don't know. It was a long time ago. And I mean, but isn't that life that we're just living by faith? I think that more, the more we can pray for that gift of vision and the more we can practice in faith, the more we will see as he sees. Moroni tells us to do this so that when he comes, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. If I could have one thing in this world, it would be to see as God sees. And so remember that quote that my missionary friend had on his wall. 
Lord, give me eyes that see, not as the world sees, but as thou seest.